Welcome back to Dare to Feel. I'm your host, Alexandra Roxo, creative artist, best-selling author of Fuck Like a Goddess, transformational and spiritual mentor and coach. This series is based on my book, Dare to Feel. In each episode, we'll deepen into topics around intimacy, relationship, spirituality, healing, and beyond. In today's episode, we are speaking with the holistic psychologist, Dr. Nicole LaPera, about nervous system regulation, relationship, heart and brain coherence, breaking cycles and patterns, and so much more. Hi, everybody. I am very excited to have today on the podcast, Dr. Nicole LaPera, and I would love to introduce her to you all. She is the holistic psychologist who you probably know and have come across her work out in the world. She was trained at Cornell University, the New School for Social Research, and the Philadelphia School of Psychoanalysis. She is the founder of the Global Community Healing Membership Self-Healer Circle and the author of the number one New York Times bestseller, How to Do the Work, How to Meet Yourself, and her next book, How to Be the Love You Seek, is out on November 28th. Is that correct, November 28th? Okay, great. So we are so happy to have you here today. And as I was saying before we started rolling, your book is so spot on to the things that I have been exploring in my own personal healing journey and that we're talking about on this podcast. It's almost like, I think in the healing kind of journey, right? It's like we do all this healing on ourselves. We do kind of our own internal repair and navigation with our inner child, with our past. And then we bring it into the relational field. And that's kind of the next frontier. And I love that, um, that your book has this kind of conversation around the heart because mine, my work right now is, is kind of in that direction as well. Um, so th- this new book, how to be the love you seek, break cycles, find peace and heal your relationships. First, I want to say congrats on a third book. Thank you so much. And thank you, Alexandra, for having me here today. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious, um, would you say that while writing this and the books that you've written before, that they, which seem to follow sort of your path of transformation or a path of transformation, were you going through that kind of healing journey while you were writing it, before you were writing it, how does it relate to your experience? If you don't mind sort of diving right into the to the vulnerability of it, I'm just so curious about your journey and why this book at this time. I'm actually um, still giggling at hearing you call it the, the next frontier. Um, that is all things relationships. And I could not wholeheartedly agree more um, and the emergence of this book or the creation, I should say, of this book absolutely, I think, maps on not only to my individual evolution in terms of my own healing journey, but I think that kind of global evolution, um, like you were beautifully saying, we come to awareness, many of us create change um, in our personal experiences, and then we look to our relationships. And what I had seen historically, um, I'd worked for many years as a couples, family type therapist and what I had seen was um, a lot of stuck cycles. Um, so even the 
sub subtitle of the book, um, Break Cycles, really was evident to me. Here I was, the helping professional in the room, and no matter how much communication, no how much, no matter how much we try to verbalize these insights, often about our past experiences, so many of us in partnerships, um, friendships included, professional relationships included, are still su- stuck in what I would call dysfunctional or not fulfilling cycles, and of course. That includes me as well. So I'm still very much um, on my healing journey individually in my partnerships. Um, you know, having, I will often break the, the process of change into two steps, having awareness so that we can, or becoming conscious, as I like to say it, so that we can begin to make new choices. And I think like many of us, I'm still stuck um, repeating a lot of patterns that trace back to my personal childhood experience, as is the case for all of us, we learn how to relate to ourselves, to other people um, in our in our childhood. I think what has become different for me and really transformational and absolutely, I think, maps onto your work around embodiment is how important the body is in this process and how for many of us that bridge that we're unable to build from insight into action is because we're just trying to think our way or even communicate um, our way through these dysfunctional cycles, for lack of a better word, though the reality of it is, again, based on our childhood experience, we have all of these ingrained patterns that don't just live in our mind, that actually right. live in our body, um, that oftentimes map on to dysregulated nervous systems and the actual embody work, embodiment work that we have to do to create change. Yeah, it's such a big part of it, right? And it's like they they're interconnected. Like there's no way to to do one without the other. Like you said, we can't think our way into a new pattern of change. And we also do have to have the awareness and insight and understanding intellectually and mentally so that we can recognize it and process it, you know? So it's interesting because if you go too far in one direction or the other, you're, it's not going to get you anywhere, <laughs> right? It's like, um, so for you, what were some of your kind of ahas, big pivot points as you did your own work? And I just want to say, I love that you were just really honest, which I don't know. I just don't hear so often from people that are known as experts in a field that they're like, I'm still working through dysfunctional patterns. I'm not sure if it's a kind of patriarchal thing that people are supposed to hold a certain, supposed to in air quotes, people um, <laughs> they hold a certain thing that they're not allowed to still be dysfunctional, which is a lie, right? Like no one is going to be perfect. No one is going to be devoid of any sort of pattern. So I just want to say thank you for being honest and in integrity of like, I'm still a human. I still have patterns that arise because that's truth. So I, I appreciate that. Um, and actually so much of, of my past experience, um, even the embodiment of creating a space where I can tell the truth, um, which began at the inst- as the Instagram account now upwards of five years ago, was such a practice um, for me as a clinician who was trained actually not to share any of my own self, my mm-hmm. own struggles in the clinical room when I was working um, with my clients and so much actually of my own conditioning where I had really learned, and I'll dive into um, my past experience and how that maps onto this conversation a bit, but um, kind of to really simplify it, I, I had learned particular ways to show up, usually through achieving, usually through minimizing any other emotional needs. Um, so for me to actually be vulnerable in this way is a daily practice. And again, going back to your beautiful insight, for a lot of us knowing, right, having those moments of awareness, even if we're talking about relationships, communicating them to partners, and then knowing our partners or our friends or our loved ones past 
can help relieve, I think, the feeling of loneliness and isolation that so many of us secretively believe we're the only one, right, struggling in this way. So me working through all of the difficulty and being vulnerable and doing so, so publicly, I think the gift of that is, and it goes two ways. I become more vulnerable in a safe community. The community allows me to do that. And then I hear in the comment section, I mean, I'm in there so much and, you know, feeling the relief of hearing people reflect back, not even just kind of locally where when I created the account, I was living in Philadelphia. I mean, very early on, it was quite globally, um, these kind of relatable patterns. So while that, of course, that conscious awareness of the similar struggles that we universally have can be half of the battle, if you will. Um, I still find myself stuck in dysfunctional cycles that are very much related to that early childhood environment. Where while I absolutely had physically present caregivers, all of my physical needs were met on a near consistent basis, though, and again, for years, I didn't even have the language to understand how impactful emotional needs were and how emotionally absent and misattuned because my parents from their past generations based on you know the experiences they had had they weren't able to be emotionally attuned and present for me um so for me I still see that and I saw that in cycles of actually relationships before and I'm entered into my current one where I would actually leave um relationships typically my complaint would be to all of the past partners that I had somewhere down the line I would decide that we're not emotionally connected. And I would start to lodge complaints of not feeling emotionally close or not feeling that thing that I thought we had to feel to, you know, translate to this deep loving connection. Little did I know um, the role that I was playing. So typically I would get so resentful, the relationship would implode or explode. I'd seek another partner who could better meet my emotional needs only to realize as I really kind of began my own healing journey and began to look at myself in a deeper way and the role that I was playing, not only in my daily life, but in my relationships, I began to notice how little, like I was sharing earlier, of my emotions um, I brought. So I created Mm -hmm. this cycle of like almost keeping people at an arm's length distance and then blaming them for this lack of emotional connection. Though I was a million miles away from my body, from my emotions, I was too vulnerable to even share them again, based in that childhood where I did not have that opportunity. Oh, thank you for sharing that. And it's the full taking responsibility, which is, I think, the scariest part of the journey for many people is just going, well, I created this, not like to self-shame or to, to you know, um, put ourselves into a negative hole, but to just take responsibility of, of um, wow, I put myself in the same scenario, maybe subconsciously. Subcon- that I, I was in when I was a kid and now I'm bringing awareness to it. And now I can start to make other choices or maybe I won't make other choices for the next five years. <laughs> right. I was talking about this at dinner last night with, where I was like, yeah, you know, my, I was owning up to a pattern of like overgiving at the start of a relationship and not speaking up when I when I wanted to or when I felt hurt, you know, just kind of being like, it's no, no big deal. And then out of nowhere being like, it's over and like <laughs> totally like cutting and, and taking responsibility. Like, yeah, that's my fault. I gave too much at the top. I gave too much at the beginning because I wanted the love and connection. And then I wanted the love and connection to stay. So I wasn't honest when I was hurt because I didn't want to lose the person. And then I reached an edge 
And then I couldn't hack it. And I had to say goodbye, you know, and just cut someone out. And it's like, oh, here I am nearly 40, (laughs) you know, and it's just taking responsibility instead of feeling ashamed of those things. Right. And just knowing, well, I learned that from somewhere and at least I'm unlearning it now. You know. I appreciate you you sharing so much of that. And I think it's really natural um, for us. And I have been that person too, that always externalized, right? The, the environment around me was a problem. There's just too much, much stress happening. My relationships are the problem, like I was just sharing. And again, until we become conscious, that is the only way that we likely can make sense of the world because things are happening. Like you even beautifully shared, right? I get to this point where I'm erupting out in this emotion. Meanwhile, we don't see or we're not conscious of, all that's happening behind the scenes, right? These different filters and meanings we're making out of our current experiences, these emotional sensations or physiology changes in our body, which are factoring into, again, this filtering system. And we just kind of come to when we're living in the emotion, often more often than not in the emotional reaction itself. And until again, and I I lived that pattern. So I really want to normalize the tendency to kind of deflect responsibility away because the lived experience, we don't feel responsible. We feel like you doing or not doing, saying or not saying, whatever it was in that moment, right, caused this emotional reaction, which is very real. We're feeling it in our bodies. Oftentimes we're overwhelmed. We're reacting from it or we're disconnecting from the circumstance, whatever it is that our style has been since childhood. So again, I really want to normalize because we're, it's so beneath the surface until of course, and then to speak to your point about, you know, responsibility, it is so empowering to be able to locate ourselves, even if it's difficult, even if we have a wake of sadness and grief, right? Of all of this, you know, pain we've caused ourselves and other people, which I think is a natural um, step into healing. It doesn't necessarily feel good when you Mm -hmm. become conscious, you usually feel bad. You feel bad about all this pain you're carrying. You feel bad about all these self-betrayal moments, like you're saying, where you're overgiving and there's no reciprocity that I can absolutely relate to. And many of us feel bad about the hurt that we've caused other people. Um, Though when we are in that conscious state of responsibility, and I actually begin um, How to Be the Love You Seek, while it's a relationship book, the the first beginning chapter really points um, that attention right back to allow us to begin that exploration. Because once we journey through the pain that is there in the wake of all of this co-creation that we've participated in beneath the surface, now we get to take that second step of choice, right? Once the patterns become clearer to us, now we can start to show up and rebuild maybe the relationship connection with ourself, with our limits, so we can feel our edge sooner and express it in a new way. And then of course, translate that out into how we're showing up in our relationships. Yes, exactly. Okay. Something you just said, I'm so curious about. So all those people that we hurt, right? All those people we hurt in our unconsciousness, we didn't know, right? Like say, I'm talking, use myself an example. Say I self-silenced, I wanted to avoid conflict because I didn't want to lose love, right? So I just made it like no big deal. I don't care that this person you know, did something that upset me. I'm going to pretend they didn't. I'm going to deny my own experience so that I can make sure that I keep the connection, right? Until one day I burst and I'm like, I can't do it. So say all those people that sort of we hurt in our own unconscious patterns and tendencies. Do you, I'm curious from your advice, your perspective, do you recommend that we reach out to all of them and say, we're sorry? Do you pray at night and say, I'm so sorry I hurt you? Because I definitely like over the years, I'm like, 
there are so many different paths to that. And they visit me. Those, those choices and decisions from the past visit me still. Um, and it's hard to let them go. It's hard to forgive myself at times. And, and I'm speaking on behalf of, of the arch- of anyone else who's listening who also has those thoughts. What would you recommend to somebody who's like, man, now that I'm in awareness, I, I, how do I forgive myself and how do I ask those people to forgive me or not? I, I really appreciate this question. And much like you, I've kind of labored, belabored um, my own because a lot of, as I became aware of, you know, how not authentic I was being and discovered that I too needed to create boundaries that meant separating from some relationships, ending um, other relationships entirely. And so I too am left in the wake of, I imagine hurt, right? Many relationships that I didn't necessarily, I didn't have the skills or the tools to communicate directly what I was thinking, what I was feeling, and then what I was going to do in terms of creating that separation. So if we want to use a very common word, I ghosted. Um, I just kind of fell off the map. And that's that still for me um, is a very pain. So saying that to say, I think it's our individual journey um, to determine whether right. or not um, going back to, you know, give that apology. I do want to dive in, though, to forgiveness a bit, um, because forgiveness itself is an act, a practice that we can offer ourselves, even if we don't or can't. Um, some of these people we might not, might not have access to anymore. Some of these people might not want to hear from us anymore, right. depending on what it totally was that happened. So allowing ourselves um, the space to really be present to how we feel um, about what it is that happened, about what it is that we did, and eventually to be able to gift ourselves with, often I think forgiveness comes when we're able to accept um, yeah. everything that we're talking about now, um, where that hurt came from. Not that we're a mish- malicious, bad, terrible person. I actually don't think anyone walking this human journey is any of those things. I believe that we're all heart-centered creatures. I think some of us act in ways that are very hurtful to ourselves and other people, though oftentimes I think that's, or more, I think all of the time, if my my honest opinion, that comes from pain in our own past experience. Um, So Mm -hmm. saying that to say, when we are able to understand what caused our behaviors, we might be able to extend ourselves that compassion. Um, another thing about forgiveness and apologies, if we do decide, right, to share whatever it is, our I'm sorry, our, you know, statement of personal responsibility to someone else, what we cannot control, and this goes for apologies or any social interaction, we cannot control someone else. So being really aware um, and taking that moment to check our own expectation, right? Am I offering this apology because I want you to validate me and tell me it's okay and maybe I want to resume this relationship, right? Then if that's the only reason that we're going to offer this apology, then we might want to at least pause until we can equally value our own process in that in making amends and taking responsibility and in saying that I'm sorry or whatever it is because not all of the time or often, you know, more often than not, sometimes depending on the depth of the hurt, we might not get that reaction that we want. And, right. and that I think then becomes a challenging cycle where we become hurt, right? We were just vulnerable in this way and you're not going to accept it. We could explode outward. We can become unconsciously manipulative and do all of these things that I don't think are helpful um, for the relationship. Yeah. So true. I remember when I was like, maybe 32 or something. And I decided to like write some emails to say sorry to some exes. And it was a shit show. You know, I ended up meeting up with two of them. And I mean, that's the thing about sneaky unconscious patterns. It's like, you know, you meet one pattern and you're like, yeah, I met this unconscious tendency, 
But then another one is there. It's like, oh, now I'm wanting validation or does a part of me want to reconnect with this person? Now I'm actually disrupting their life. And now I'm giving them an opportunity to be like, you're fucking disrupting my life. (laughs) You know, so it's complex, right? When we're in that space and um, yeah, it takes a lot of awareness. At this point in my journey, I live it, I let it be, you know, I'm not kind of opening and knocking on those doors when the thoughts come to visit me of like, ooh, I wish I did that better. I mostly focus on self-forgiveness around myself, or maybe I go into a little bit of a spiritual practice around sending them love, um, you know, psychically saying, I'm so sorry for that versus me needing to write a long email that maybe there's some of my own unconscious patterns woven into. Um, and because, well, yeah, we're human. We're always still in the work, right? So um, yeah, I appreciate you bringing that forward. I want to read a quote from your book, which I loved. Um, when our heart and brain work together harmoniously and efficiently, we can sense our environment more accurately and make decisions that allow us to maintain our connections to others. We can think more clearly and better deal with the emotional stress of life. I just love that because I'm also a big proponent of how we how we integrate the heart into our very intellectualized, Western-minded uh, society. And I'm curious for you, how do you, if you were to just give someone kind of a a base practice or a way to say, look, I know you are leading a lot from this more analytical mind, from this more linear mind that wants to know and understand, but here's how to weave the heart in. What what would you say to that? I think the first thing I would say, and I'd be actually speaking to a past version of myself that loved to live in the safety um, of my mind, and that I think even too, um, you know, coming from obviously a psychologically trained background, many of us who are in our own kind of psychological type self-explorations, I think a lot of times we think that gaining all of this insight is is going to kind of help us again, create create that change. And I think we can even, like you were even sharing earlier a bit, Alexandra, we can overcompensate and begin to live too analytically in our mind, um, trying to make sense of the world again from that top down. And we're losing then all the wisdom in our heart. So the foundational thing I would say is that as simple as this sounds, the heart lives in your body, right? Yeah. So really beginning, you know, because a lot of us are distracted by racing thoughts. I lived much of my life away on what I call my spaceship, just so disassociated and disconnected from my physical presence that I was not able to hear, right? The whispers, the kind of sensations, my heart, I wasn't able to actually feel much of my body or my emotions at all. So really rebuilding that connection to being in a physical body. Even one of the simplest practices um, that we talk about, anytime members enroll in the membership, the self-healer circle, the first, um, there's many courses, it's an entire course catalog at this point, though I always direct them to the first course ever released and it's called Awaken Consciousness. And the whole practice um, for that month is about becoming a conscious being. And the simple suggestion I make is to set, you know, alarms on your phone, um, reminders throughout your day, maybe even commit to during, you know, the moment where something you do every day, a habit already, you drink coffee, you brush your teeth, making that your commitment to consciously check in with yourself. 
to first pay attention when that alarm goes off or you walk by that post-it note or it's time to brush your teeth, pay attention to where your attention is. Are you already planning for the day, right? Are you rehearsing all the things you have to do? Or maybe you're rehashing an argument or a conflict that had happened earlier Mm -hmm. in those moments, right? Non-judgmentally becoming aware of where our attention is. Of course, we don't have to criticize or shame ourselves, but we can begin to build that muscle of consciousness refocusing our attention on our breath, on the feeling of our body grounded on the earth or do a senses check-in, right? What can I see? Touch, taste, anything like that can ground our attention in our body. And the more connected we are to our body, then we can expand that focus to our heart and begin to visualize our heart. I mean, heart consciousness practices, right? Visualizing the bright light around our heart, Um, Then we can begin to actually summon or generate some sensations, those heart-based feelings of compassion, of love, of care, of gratitude. They all activate our heart. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just wanted to preface all of that with that first connection because I know when I heard this a million times ago, I'm like, oh, okay. I started to even learn about the science, the power of the heart, this incredible electromagnetic field. And at that point of my healing journey, I mean, everything below my neck was more or less numb. I couldn't Mm -hmm. feel my heart. So I just wanted to emphasize how it is this foundational journey of becoming attuned to the body, of learning how to deal with all of the overwhelming emotion. I mean, even at the end of the quote, I think a lot of us have this idea that healing means a stress-free life. Absolutely not. Becoming present to all of the stress and uncomfortable emotions in our body and creating safety through that, through nervous system regulation. So it becomes a foundational journey of creating safety in our physical vessel so that we can really begin to attune, even then visualize and generate those feelings in our heart. And then we can really live in that harmonious state of activation. Beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. I love that. So, so well put. Um, To create that safety in the nervous system. Now, this is a huge part of the journey and it is I don't know if it fully ever goes away or ends, or we say we got an A plus and we're good to go. Um, For someone who's just struggling with that, right? Like, is it safe to feel? Like, I want to feel, I want to go there, but is it safe to feel? Um, What would you recommend to that person? I even love um, the title of your podcast, right? Dare, dare to feel. I mean, there's so much in that. Um, it is a courageous act. Dare to feel, I think, really captures um, the bravery and the difficulty that it is to, to drop into our emotional world. And again, like I was sharing earlier, I think very few of us have the tools um, to regulate our nervous system. And as a result, we're living with a dysregulated nervous system. We're living in survival mode. Because again, when we didn't have that safety and that security, that grounded, present caregiver to co-regulate our nervous system with in childhood, we will adapt. Um, And many of us adapt in a way that we become dysregulated. We become either overwhelmed by our emotions where we explode outward anytime they happen, or we become shut down to them. I'm on, of course, that end of the spectrum. So even going back into the embodiment work, being in our body and noticing when our nervous system is dysregulated, because even referencing my quote, we don't get the opportunity. Life is going to have stressful emotions. There's going to be moments where we're feeling something. So to teach our nervous system how to deal with 
you know, expanding amounts. And I'm saying that very intentionally because when we're not, we don't have the tools to deal with even a little bit of stress, we really have to widen our window, um, as they say in the field, by gradually teaching our body and our mind all of the racing thoughts um, that happen when we're uncomfortable or when we're stressed. And I am someone who had little emotional or stress resilience when I began this journey because I was so far away in my spaceship when I dropped in. What I was met with was overwhelming emotions and no ability to deal with them outside of just continuing to disconnect from them. So for me, it was, you know, learning how to drop into my body and to stress it, even through gentle stretching, um, years of being with tense, frozen muscles where my body was bracing itself for the next stress at hand, which was at this point for decades, um, even stretching my muscles, knowing that movement and stretching would help me release this tension, you know, and, and help my body regulate itself wasn't an uncomfortable thing to do. Um, so dropping in our body when we're feeling that discomfort, whether we're stretching, whether we're going out in cold and doing ice therapy or turning the shower to cold, um, anytime we're doing something that evokes that physiological or that physical discomfort, um, learning how to maybe slow and deepen our breath or ground our attention, not in the racing thoughts that are telling us to get the heck out of that cold water or to stop that stretch right now, you're hurting yourself. And of course, it doesn't mean pushing our body past its limits um, though it does mean allowing our body to become stressed, our heart rate to elevate, our breath to quicken, and then through intentional acts, um, again, breath work being a great one because we're always breathing by slowing and deepening our breath, by refocusing our attention away from those racing thoughts that are telling us to move, will over time create the environment internally to be able to be present to our emotions so that we can evolve from reacting from them as we habitually do in our relationships to feeling them. And again, you spoke about integration, right? We don't get to the point where, well, I just don't ever feel stressed about anything. No, we're going to have uncomfortable right. emotions come up. We're going to have moments of conflict where I have a different perspective than those around me, where I have different emotions or needs than those around me. And I need to be able to re remain responsive we're in that conscious point of choice or control about what I do next, how I navigate them, as opposed to, again, dropping back into those old reactive, often explosive or disconnecting patterns. Right, right. Wow. I love that perspective because you're starting with the body's capacity to hold sensation, right? And the mind's capacity to meet the increasing sensation. Um and I like that practice. It reminds me of just, and I give this example a lot to my clients and students, it's just like working out, right? And we, it's, that is normalized in our society as a discomfort that people meet on the regular, right? Like, oh, I'm going to maybe go to the gym and I'm going to like, oh, it hurts a little. But when we <laughs> consider the, how normal or not normal it is to meet ongoing emotional discomfort, that's something that we haven't normalized. And we know this because there's video games and there's alcohol in every corner and tobacco in every corner and there's sugar that's sold everywhere. And all of that is like, in my opinion, which is super biased, it's mine, um, <laughs> is my opinion is that that's all our own, our coping strategies, numbing strategies, ways to avoid the other part of our discomfort, which is that kind of more um, consideration of our emotional capacity and our emotional regulation. 
so interesting to me. It's just like that in our society, what's what's normalized and what's not. It, to me, I want to normalize and with my work and, and with my own practice, the ability to meet uncomfortable emotions and not just to meet them, but to become really Jedi at meeting them and, and to actually maybe even have a little bit of fun meeting them, um, which can sound wild, but from an artistic perspective, meeting grief can be a beautiful, romantic experience from a spiritual perspective as well. And so with your conversation about like, okay, let's create a safe container, this body to meet those racing thoughts, to meet the uh, increasing sensation. What about to meet like the emotion? Like, how do you recommend that people from your perspective increase their capacity to meet the spectrum, which I find again, from a spiritual artistic perspective is like the gorgeous spectrum of humanness, but it's also terrifying. And what do you recommend to people? I really appreciate um, you focusing on in your work um, and in your own embodiment, um, the practice of other strategies or outlets. Because again, I really want to emphasize we've adapted and we're now reliant, many of us as adults, wholeheartedly on these other, you know, very habitual, oftentimes, you know, problematic in different ways, whether it's the sugar or the overworking or the overworking out or the using substances. So again, I want to emphasize that Many of us try to just, you know, go, for lack of a better word, go cold turkey. I'm just not going to do that anymore. But we haven't taken the time to create another outlet for our emotions. And we need that because if we don't begin to take steps to have some other place to channel the energy or to, you know, turn it into a creative expression, then we're really not going to succeed in the way that we want. And chances are we're going to find ourselves back in those old patterns and feel even more shameful. Why am I here when I know that these things aren't serving me? So again, I want to emphasize the importance of creating not only the presence with our emotions, but beginning to create. And for many of us, it means to curiously explore new ways to navigate these very real physiological sensations. So when we're diving into the world of emotions, again, we want to understand that they live in our body. Um, they map on, you know, especially if we want to break it down uh, in my workbook, How to Meet Yourself, I talk about or I give my version of, of a feelings wheel or an emotion wheel is really what I mean. Those core kind of physiological markers. You know, when I feel angry, I'm feeling angry because my needs are going unmet or my boundaries are being violated. When I'm feeling sad, there's either a real or a perceived loss to something that's important to me happening in my environment. When I'm feeling scared, there's a threat present or I'm feeling overwhelmed by what's coming up emotionally. And of course, there are several more. So really, again, connecting with the body, exploring um, what is happening in terms of the physiological sensations. Where are you feeling certain shifts and changes? Is it in your belly? Is it getting sickened? Are you feeling some version of disgust, right? Does something happen that's against maybe your moral values or physically mm -hmm. um, making you kind of turn your stomach? Quite literally, we have all these idioms, I think, right. in the English language. I don't know if that's the word I mean, but yeah. that's the word that comes yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like these sayings, right? So beginning to, again, locate what is happening in, happening in terms of sensation in my body. And I think this is another place where we get hijacked by trying to mentalize or analyze. Or, I mean, if we do dive into, again, emotions are the physiological experiences, then we have feelings, 
right? All these mental constructs mm-hmm. and they kind of expand into a million different feelings that we could be having to speak to your point. It's very complex, yeah. um, our kind of emotional world as humans. So I think a lot of us get caught up then sometimes in trying to give the perfect word or label mm. to what it is that we're feeling before we've created that safe container to feel into it first and foremost. Because once we feel into it, again, that unlocks the possibility, continuing to reiterate how much they are energies, physiological things happening in our body, right? The more, again, first and foremost, we're in our mind, the more we can continue to live them on. If we're trying to analyze or make sense of or even rehash what happened, before long, I'm just continuing that physiological sensation in our body. Mm. And the reality of it is I reference this and how to do the work that the physiological sensations themselves, if we were just to allow them to be in our body, they last somewhere around 90 seconds. They actually release on their own. If we don't, of course, take it up to our mental world, rehash what happened, right? Try to make sense of it in this very analytical way. So when we can be present to it, more often than not, they'll naturally go away anyway. And I noticed this myself. I can become upset with something. And if I'm more or less in a regulated state of my nervous system, in a couple minutes, in a couple hours, the thing is like, oh, I'm, I'm that's that's fine. I'm over that. Right. I naturally got over it on my own. Right. Though, when we're talking about the stuff that many of us are carrying for generate for, I mean, generations really, if we want to talk about going back in time, but you know, for decades of our own life, then they might still be present. And then again, we could get curious. Um, we could start to you know, attuned to our body. What might I need if I'm feeling an elevated sensation? Might I need to slow my energy and movement down? For some of us, that might, might actually feel good. I might actually need to speed it up, right. go take a fast walk around the block. Right. So again, we can't give individual, or I, I always hesitate to give individual prescriptions right. because we're all different. Yeah. We're physiologically different. Um, emotions are going to map on to different sensations in our body and different release points. Yeah. But Again, I want to emphasize that first point. If we let them be, be in our body, sometimes they will naturally pass on their own. Yeah, that's so true. And I really agree that there's really no one size fits all. Uh, and I think that can be a little bit of a, I don't know if the word is shadow of kind of modern self-help or something like that, where people want a solution how do I not feel this is usually the thing. It's like, hey, somebody please tell me how I can avoid this this uncomfortable sensation. A lot of my work is like, no, honey, let's not avoid it. Let's go into it and let's feel it. And then let's let it become this gorgeous artistic devotional prayer through your body, right? Like of very much more this spiritually artistic space. But but at the at the core, it's like the same thing. It's like becoming more apt to stay with something. And I love how you said that you met in your first book, how to do the work that you talked about how it would pass naturally, usually in like 120 seconds. And it reminds me because I'm preparing to go into labor by the time this podcast is out, that will have been done. But it reminds me of, <laughs> of contractions and like what they prepare, you know, in some courses, they prepare you for con- contractions. And it's like, okay, all you need to do is just count through and, you know, it's like counting up to 30 and down 30 or up to a minute and down to a minute and just letting that wave happen instead of fighting against the wave, instead of 
being mad that there's such thing as a wave. And it's such a metaphor for life, right? It's like, yes, we can sit there and, and critique. Why is this, why is this emotion here? I'm so pissed. This is my parents' fault that I'm still angry about this. I know that. And we just go further and further right into the contraction, literally like not the birth contraction, but the mental contraction. <laughs> and instead of just going, hmm, okay, here it comes. Okay. I'm going to breathe. I'm going to soften. I'm going to relax, or I'm going to you know, scream my way through it, or I'm going to dance my way or something that helps me to open to it versus fight against it. And I think what, what we're talking about is like, yeah, we, we live in a society that has constructed a lot of ways to keep resisting feeling being in our bodies. And it seems like it's getting more and more like on some way we're evolving deeper into under self-understanding, but in other ways with technology and AI and all of these things, I'm curious what you think about that. Like culturally, collectively, do you think there we're at a risk of losing that deep connection to our bodies and to each other because of technology? Or do you think it's increasing or it's some combination of the two? I think technology and society in general, if I really want to go out there and globalize this, um, is a reflection of, I think, the collective condition. So saying that to say, I think the reason, and I could not agree more, Alexandra, of what you're describing, we struggle to relax into sensations, especially big, overwhelming sensations. Why? Because we're brought right back to those times in early childhood where we were actually overwhelmed by them, where we didn't have the tools to be present. We didn't have, again, that safe, co-created space with a calm, regulated nervous system to understand and make sense of them. And what I commonly hear is then expressed and expressed belief of, oh, I can't let my sadness or my grief or my anger wash over me because it will never stop. And I really want to, again, emphasize how real that is because we are living in our mind and body memory of those past experiences. And when we touch certain sensations, for some of us, all of them, if we didn't have right that, that safe, secure connection to explore the emotional world, as many of us didn't, we're brought right back in time. Yeah. So again, back to this idea of technology and all of the advancements, I think that just mirrors, there's just been generations of us now passed through our ancestors of that inability through lack of education, through lack of resources, um, through lack of everything to be able to be with uncomfortable sensations. So now we have a global collective of humans that are don't want to go there, can't go there, are overwhelmed when we try to go there, and we're also very creative and forward-thinking species, so now what you see is that reflected in, well, we don't have to because now you have the app or you have the AI or you have all of this virtual reality world. You can just and, – and cities as they've evolved. I mean, we used to have to travel far distances to get to any even basic needs, let alone entertainment. I mean, I grew up in a city and I lived in a city up until recently, um, and funny enough, you would have heard me for decades of my life prior to now professing I would never leave a city. And I really, truly believe because the vibration of the stress of the city, the endless stuff to do, as I would call it, was again a version of exactly what we're talking about now. It was my protection, all of the friends I had, all the stuff I could do, I never had. And just the general state of stress that's with concrete around you and no space and no connection to, to nature, which happens in cities that was so in alignment with my vibration and it offered me endless opportunities 
to not drop in wow. because again, at my core, I didn't feel safe. I felt overwhelmed. I didn't have the tools wow. to be able to create that container. So again, I see this reflected on a mass scale. And at the same time, I'm very hopeful because I see so many communities like yours, like Mayan, um, really globally individuals that are waking up. Again, the subtitle, Breaking Cycles, Coming to This Awareness, Creating Containers. Um, I do a lot of thinking and work now with community-based healing. I'm seeing that becoming you know, the, the safe container for many of us of these virtual communities yeah. as being an advancement, um, so much so that I do think while, yes, there might still be advancements in the distraction category or that kind of external emotional regulation category, if you will, I'm also seeing an evolution uh, in the human itself. And I think that will translate to our ability to tolerate more and more feelings, more and more emotions to relate differently, not only to them in ourselves, but differently to them in others in our relationships and globally as a collective. Yeah, that's so great. I love what you mentioned about when our nervous system is kind of jacked up for lack of better words <laughs> from our past and and we resonate with the city cuz it's equally like jacked up and intense <laughs> there's such a high there i mean i lived in new york for 12 years and i still you know i love it and it's it's intense like when i go back it's intense you know i spend much more time in my little airbnb or hotel room than on the street and then there's moments where like the last few times we were in new york i was like okay i have to take an uber back home we're not taking the train like i can't do it and when i was younger i mean it was just like no way i was just going 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 and that nervous system work where we realize, wow, my nervous system has been like totally in this fight or flight or survival mode since I was a kid. And I adapted and I just decided that's fine. I'll live that way. And maybe I'll use alcohol or tobacco or working to kind of cope or if I need to slow down, right, it's going to take a few martinis because my nervous <laughs> system is so high. And when we, you know, begin to make that shift. I think it's a, I think that healing is a multi-year process and I think it happens physically. And, you know, I had to do adrenal healing work with a naturopath and acupuncture. And so there's that part. And then there's the kind of emotional part. And then I, then there's the, the withdrawal part of, well, life is without all that, it's kind of quiet over here. You know, and now that I'm not on that rampant high that of the, of the hamster wheel that actually felt kind of amazing and fun, right? Like three coffees in or something, you know, it's like when I look back at that, I talked about this a little in my first book of just like that, that process of going, wow, I actually need to learn how to soften, how to slow down and how to surrender. Um, and then when I do, I have to sit with everything that's like waiting to be dealt with. And that that process is, you know, it's a sobriety in ways, right? That we come to, I think, when we're on the healing path and it's so necessary. And then on the other side of that healing work is I think a lot of liberation, I couldn't agree more. And I think for me, it was really the commitment to creating new habits to sustain the health of my nervous system, things that weren't even connected to these moments that we're talking about, right, where I'm acutely stressed and I want to be responsive instead of reactive. 
to me, it was every day um, creating a sleep routine where I went to bed at an early hour and I woke up, you know, with, with the sun. It's making sure nutritionally that I'm giving my body the nutrients that it needs and I'm removing all of the inflammatory foods that were stressing up my internal system for so many years that many of which I relied on to help me cope emotionally. And mm. right. It was all of this stuff I was doing outside of those moments. And again, I'm saying this to say, cause I think so many of us very well intentionally want to just have the back pocket tool to do it in our time of crisis. And unfortunately it really is for a lot of us about overhauling our life. Of course, not from top to bottom starting tomorrow. Cause again, that only stresses our nervous system out more, which prefers our familiar habits, but gradually, slowly, right? Creating this change. And then to speak to your beautiful point, and then a lot of us are met with all of the grief, all of the feelings that we've accumulated out over time as we're kind of use a description of peeling back the layers of the onion, right? Now we are shedding aspects of our identity. I knew myself as a city girl. I thought I was going to die as a city girl. I had this whole social life, right? And this whole lifestyle mm-hmm. wrapped up around an identity of sorts around being a city girl, more so being a psychologist in the traditional sense. And now I'm not that anymore because I find my passion is more for teaching and writing and doing what I do now, right? And more so even in my relationships. I'm not the overachiever who has no needs anymore. I'm trying to create space for a more vulnerable, soft version of me. So talk about shedding identity after identity. And then when we do create changes in our systems or our relationships, our families, Right. Then like dominoes, there is a byproduct, an impact. When I'm not showing up as I once used to, right, the system now itself will have to reorganize, reintegrate space for me to be a new identity. And that can have a whole bunch of grief and challenges as well. So I want to hear a about complicated that. lifelong journey. <laughs> what was that part like for you? Because I do think this is a question a lot of people come through there. For me, it's maybe in my work that they're starting more on a spiritual path and they're starting to change and they're, they're feeling isolated from family or community or friends. And they're feeling like, how do I be this new version of myself on the level that you're working with the psychologically breaking patterns and cycles? It's like, what what happened for you when you stopped doing the dysfunctional things and like the whole, your whole, like you said, the systems around you um, had to have, had to have shifted. And what was that like? I mean, with my family in particular, um, discovering that I, I hadn't, you know, had space for myself. I was operating as, as the family unit for so long without boundaries, we all thought the same. We had the same perspectives. We were all unconsciously motivated to show up in service of the latest health crisis of the family member who was having it. There was a lot of shared emotions and there really wasn't any space for me to carve out my perspectives, my emotions my, and my needs that might be different than the families at any given point. And as I began my own awakening process. I had so happened to just recently chosen to move from New York um, to Philadelphia, which is where I'm from, which is where my family lived, which is where I thought I was going to open up the practice that I was going to be in for the rest of my life. Again, living in this city lifestyle, which meant that I had you know access and I had a lot of expectation from my family that I be there from anything from Sunday dinner in a very Italian-American household to, again, these near consistent health-related, you know, standard doctor's appointments, just health stuff that was happening. So saying that to say is I came to the awareness that I needed to start to set boundaries. I needed to create space for myself where I could begin to explore who I was outside of this family unit 
after seeing, of course, the same lack of boundaries in my personal relationships, which I also started to shift and change, I began to set new boundaries. Um, and I was really challenged within my family because separation for all of us created an increase in, of anxiety near panic with the immediate assumption that something must be physically wrong. So anytime I would attempt to delay my response to a text or to a phone call or to gracefully say that I'm not going to be available, I would be met with a panicked call somewhere in the near future about what's wrong. Am I okay? Jesus Christ, just call me back and tell us you're okay. Or why aren't you coming to this dinner? And it became really challenging. So I, after trying for several months um, to carve out space for myself and not being in a place where I was able to fully, you know, handle all of that pressure and that kickback and all of their anxiety on top of my own stress of, you know, trying to be different in this family cycle, um, I made the very, one of the, I think the hardest decision I've ever made in my life, which was to separate. Um, which was to send, um, again, because I did not trust myself to in face-to-face communicate and deal with all of the outpouring of emotions that I knew was going to happen when I let them know gently um, that I was going to take some time away to explore myself. Again, I was at the stage of building my business. Um, I was in a committed partnership. I had other stuff in my life, including me first and foremost, that I needed to separate to explore so I sent an email. Um, I told them that I would be taking space and I took space for about 18 months. Wow. Um, and this whole while, again, I had all of these fears from something happening to my a family member, my mom in particular, who had chronic health issues while I was gone to maybe they don't, they won't want me back. Um, you know, maybe they won't want a reconnection though. About a year and a half in, I started to feel strong enough in my own boundaries, secure enough in my own ability to be responsive to them, whatever it is um, that they would, I would be met with on the other side. And I sent out, just like I sent the email of separation, I sent out another email um, letting them know what I had done in that year and a half of time and that I was, you know, interested and curious. And of course, I did still want a relationship with them. And would they be open to a conversation? And near immediately, I got a, thankfully, a response back from them written as the whole family, pretty typical for them. But I was very grateful to hear that in the email, they had uh, described that they were in individual therapy, they had been in family therapy, that my leaving while it was very devastating, and they still have a lot of feelings about it. um, There was part of them that, you know, was in understanding and was even in a bit of gratitude for kind of what the doors had opened for them. So we ended up making the choice. They had suggested it. I was totally on board to reconnect in a family therapy session. So I went and met with the family therapist that they were already seeing. And I had about two or three sessions as a family in therapy where we talked about all the hard stuff of how it was to get that email from me, what was coming up for them. I was able to share a lot of things that I hadn't yet shared with them. And we came up with a a plan of action for what boundaries would look like moving forward. I was able to express what my needs were and and we evolved the relationships, me with the family as a unit and then me with each of them individually outside of the therapy. And at this point now, it's been several years um, since the separation and the reconnection. Uh, We've been able to have many more direct conversations about um, our past, our present. Again, there's there's more and more gratitude for all of us for, I'm so grateful for the work they did on their own. I'm so grateful for how open they were to allowing me to make the choice and honor what I needed. And I'm so grateful for the evolution um, of our, our relationships. We now don't just operate based on need or to avoid 
upsetting others, we're able to, you know, kind of actually truthfully express ourself. I remain able to, you know, enact boundaries and use them when I'm needed. And ultimately that is just deepened the safety and the security of our c- container, if you will, as a family. Yeah. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. It's really moving and um, vulnerable. I imagine, I mean, I know you talk about it at this point, you, it's a part of your work and it's, um, and yet I feel like it's still a new thing for people to even consider. It's really scary to think of setting that kind of boundary. And I did something similar with one of my parents. Um, and it was one of the hardest things I've ever done. You know, it was really hard and it was really necessary. And luckily with an amazing mentor and psychotherapist, um, that I was working with, she helped me to see that it was really what was necessary for, in order for me to become, unenmeshed and in order for me to create a healthy boundary and the road now to reestablishing a new pattern that's not dysfunctional. It's almost like, and this isn't for everybody. Okay. Everybody listening, you don't need to all do this. <laughs> Just cause Thank you for putting the caveat in I, I do not, I often do, but, <laughs> but in order to break that dysfunctional cycle for me, there had to be a there had to be a pause because trying to change the dynamic within the dynamic just kept being like um, you know this like self fulfilling. It was just like you know self fulfilling prophecy. It's like going up to the same door. Who is it that said that insanity is like you know kind of going to the same door and expecting it to be different? Said Einstein. I don't know who said that. Somebody can tell me later. Um, but that there had to be like this clean, like I need to take a step back. I need to do my cleanup on my side of the street. Like you said, also really potent thing you said is that you didn't trust yourself to have the conversation in person. I have, I I've done the same thing. I have to write it down because my little codependent don't want to upset patterns are just going to come flying out of me. If I try in person while looking at this person that I deeply love to set this boundary. And so I've known, I've learned that about myself and in per, only particular relationships, right. That are really deep and that are really tight. It's like, I got to write it down because that's the only way that I can track my patterns. I can track my unconscious, my shadows coming through. Sometimes, you know, my, my mentor therapist will like, look at an email, say, if I'm setting a boundary, she's like, nope, take this out, take this out, take this out. And I'm like, why, why, why? She's like, you're over justifying. You're taking responsibility for their emotions. You're trying to control their emotions there. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> if And if I just showed up to a dinner to talk about it, no one would be able to see those things. They'd just be flying out of my mouth. So anyway, a lot of wisdom in your process and and again, everybody who's listening, it's your own breaking cycles and patterns may look completely different. Um, and it'll be your own journey to find what that looks like. And I do think, I mean, wrapping up, though I have a million other questions, um, this is the fundamental, I think, piece in the how to be the love you seek and then how to attract the love you seek too, which is my addendum there, um, is 
the, our ability to change these patterns. And, and, and it takes sometimes so much bravery because it means sacrificing sometimes connection or love or potentially hurting someone we love, but otherwise we're just kind of in the repeating cycle. So I'm, I'm just grateful that you're bringing that work into the world too. Um, and, and also living it. Yeah, thank you. And, and to be love, I think one of the hope, my hope for my hopeful takeaway for everyone who will read how to be the love you seek is being love is an, and to speak to your beautiful community and your work, being love is an embodied state, yeah. right? We have to be an, an individual that is in interdependence or interconnection. And that was the biggest um, gift of that time and space away. It was the first time in my life up until that point where I said, I'm in this relationship too with my family. That is in, in any relationship that I'm in. And I think a lot of us, again, very, we think, we're being selfless or of service to other people if we kind of wash ourselves out of the equation. And again, of course, I make a case grounded in the science of nervous system regulation and neurobiology and heart coherence of how important it is not to remove ourselves because to be truly authentically and interdependently connected to another person, right? That means that we're in that safe container and we are that separate being who's curious and able to be curious and connect it with a different person. Not that we have to control or manipulate or fit into a certain box. And that only happens again when we create, as many of us come from codependent or enmeshed or even selfless service-based backgrounds where we are the caretaker who puts everyone else before ourself. Again, that is not the way to find this type of true connection and true interdependence. And in my opinion, not or does not create the ability to embody love. So yes. thank you, Alexander, for the work you do. Thank you for your entire community um, for listening to this conversation and for the work each of you are doing um, to embody this new way of being. Because like I was sharing earlier, it makes me so hopeful for our future um, and inspire because I do see us beginning this shift, which is so greatly powerful. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your gifts with us and the world. Congratulations. I am, you know, from the time that you started putting your work into the world and where you are now, it's like, what a beautiful, I mean, I'm sure complex, but beautiful karma to be able to bring so many of these healing tools to so many millions of people. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. And everybody, please go out and buy Nicole, Dr. Nicole's latest book. I'm really excited for you all to read it and to tune into this new um, body of work that uh, she's created. So congratulations again. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Before you go, I want to offer you some questions for contemplation, integration, and writing if you wish. The first one is to consider, was there something in today's episode that touched you or moved you or triggered you? An image, an idea, a story? Take a moment and just think about it. Is there anything that provoked you, that reached inside of you? that perhaps brought up a memory or an idea from your life. What in this episode inspired you? Was there something that surprised you, that stood out for you? Could you jot it down just to remember? Maybe it was a concept or something that the guest said that 
took you by surprise, but that uplifted you, that brought you to some new awareness? Was there something about this episode that upset you, that provoked you, that pissed you off? Giving yourself full permission to dive into that. Was there anything about this episode that soothed your soul, that helped you feel a little bit more belonging, a little bit more at home, a little bit less like you're the only one? Taking those questions into your heart or into your journal or into your day, if anything stood out that you want to share with me, please do so on social media, direct into my DMs. I would love to hear what touched you, what moved you, what you're taking from this time together. And if this episode truly inspired you in some kind of way, share it with a friend, like, subscribe, and write a review. It means a lot to me. Thank you. So happy you're here with me, daring to feel.